Hello, welcome to my podcast, I'm a Mum, Fix My Life. I'm Antonia Jones, and I'm joined today by a very special mum, Sarah, who we will call by her first name to protect her identity. Today's show is about domestic abuse, which we know no one is exempt from. That's Sarah's story of emotional abuse about becoming a single woman and mother will help our listeners who have similar experiences, as the aim of this is to help us all to spot the signs of domestic abuse and emotional abuse as well. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today and for coming forward to share your experience. So where would you like to begin? So I think I'll start by just mentioning airing her 30 laundry, um, which is my Instagram page, because that's sort of where we cross paths. Um, I set that up after coming out of a relationship that I discovered was um, abusive. Whilst I was in it, I had no idea that any forms of abuse were going on. Um, So I was with my ex for 13 years. We were together um, since we were 17. And I'd say what attracted me to him in the first place was that he was really confident. He always wanted bigger and better than everybody else. Um, he, I'd come out of a relationship before that, that when I look back now was also very um, up and down and volatile and was also dramatic. And it was, he was almost like the hero figure. I never saw any signs of any abuse for years, 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 years. Um, we had two kids, we bought a house. I go through a lot of this in my blog, like in, yeah. in detail. Um, and then it was four years before we properly split. His his dad passed, um, his dad committed suicide. And I had just had our second baby. And all of a sudden, he changed. Everything in him changed. Um, and I obviously put that down to everything that had happened um, with his dad. But then he would use his um, poor behaviour and his disappearing acts and his words and he'd use his dad as an excuse. So he'd disappear for days and he'd tell me, oh, I'm just in a really bad place. You know, I just need my space. Um, And eventually it came to light that he'd been seeing somebody else. And with him, it would go in cycles. I feel like it it went in three stages. So he'd start doing the, the feeling sorry for himself stage where he's having a mental breakdown and he can't cope and he'll do anything and we got him into rehab um, because he blamed everything on drugs. So was he using substances? From when we were 17, he was like a heavy weed smoker. I'd never known him without it and I was really young. So yeah. I just thought person was him. He just needed this stuff. It was just part of his life. He came out of rehab and he'd then do the, um, I'm better now, I promise. Like, this is never, ever going to happen again. I will do anything. And then once he got his way, 
and got his life back, then eventually it would all start again. And how, so how once was this he- process? So, for example, from the, the beginning, the feeling sorry for himself, um, then getting um, his life back, how, how long was that? Was like was that over a series of weeks? Three months. And this happened maybe three times in four years. Um, so it started to become like a cycle. And when you think three times in four years, it doesn't sound a lot. But if, if that's taking four months at a time, it's just this continuous cycle of... And your energy as well. I can imagine... Yeah, because I'm trying to save this person who says they need me, um, yet they really don't. And I, I already had my son. He was this started when he was maybe three and my daughter was literally newborn and all of that like I said I just put down to poor mental health I put down to drugs and I always say to everyone I could have always forgiven that the when the cheating came in and there were different girls that's when it started to become a different sort of problem and then my anxiety kicked in so Again, I didn't even know it was anxiety that I was feeling. I was just like, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I always nervous? Why am I always on edge? Why can I never sleep? And why would Um, you be on edge? Is it because you were thinking about what he was doing when he was outside of the house because you'd found out about um, the multiple relationships? So were you thinking about that? um, Yeah, I I sort of knew that he, he was a very good liar. So, and I sort of would get this gut feeling when he wasn't telling the truth. Um, And then what would come with that is, you're crazy. Like, why don't you believe me? I've told you where I'm going. Like, you've, you've obviously got a problem. And that's where the gaslighting comes in. And they make you believe that, oh my God, I'm going mad. Like, he's already told me he's never going to do this again. So... I just need to believe him because that's what he's saying. Um, But your gut feeling inside tells you no. And then that's when the anxiety kicks in because you feel very uncomfortable about the situation. So uncomfortable. Um, Things don't add up. They say they're somewhere and then it'd slip up and he'd be somewhere else. And then I think the other thing definitely that was played a massive part in my anxiety was um the death threat so he'd he would then um tell me that he was he would kill himself if I didn't take him back and it would be all my fault because all he wants is his old life back and if I couldn't give that to him then his life isn't worth living and this would go on and on and on and I in the end believed it because that's what the the gaslighting is and the emotional blackmail is. They you, literally- you would do, you would feel that you, because you love that person. So you would feel connected and um, it's obviously not within yourself to say, right, I'll walk away. But um, as you mentioned, there was a cycle. So this had gone on for a little while, mm-hmm. passing off his father, you giving birth to your second child. And then at that point, um, you after the death threat at what point did you say this is not a normal way of life for me do you know what he actually walked out on me and this is something that I think happens a lot but isn't talked about a lot a lot are I hear a lot of I finally got the courage to walk out on him 
well, that didn't actually happen to me. And I know through airing her 30 laundry that that doesn't happen to a lot of women. These men walk in and out whenever they want. And there was, it was, I think, the third time I could sort of tell in the days leading up to him walking out that his behaviour started to, he was cold and snappy and he wouldn't come to bed at night and then he'd say at two o'clock in the morning that he needed to go for a drive. So this one night he disappeared and the next day he texts to say, I I have stronger feelings for somebody else. And I think it was maybe four months since he'd been back in a stint. So it was four months of groveling, saying, I'm never going to do this to you again. And then all of a sudden, within a week, he'd, his behaviour had changed and he left and said, I've, I've got feelings for somebody else, stronger feelings for somebody else. She was a, by this time, we're 31. She was a 17-year-old girl. And he said, I'm not coming back. And I thought, no, you're not. You're actually not. We are not doing this anymore. You may have walked out on me again, but you are not coming back. I cannot allow this cycle to happen again because I can't allow my son, who was, I think at the time, seven, to think that this behaviour is normal. And that when he is older, this is how he can treat women and he can just walk in and out whenever he pleases. And I can't allow my daughter to think that this is acceptable and that this is how women should be treated. It was at that point. And I remember looking, and it was by text message, I remember looking at the message and when he told me that it was this girl, I actually laughed. There was nothing left in me. I just thought, oh my God. (laughs) That's it. That that was a point of, I think you got to that kind of um, turning point where you've had enough. And and a lot of women kind of feel that, um, that they're not at that place to kind of walk out or make that decision. They haven't got the courage and they're scared. And sometimes it's actually easier if they walk out on you. Sometimes it's easier for them. You can put your barrier up. Um, and say, no, 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 you made this choice, you're not coming back now, because it takes a lot. It takes a lot to, it's not just having the confidence to walk out, it's financially, how am I going to do this? Where am I going to live? Is he going to find me? Is he going to make my life hell? Am I going to regret this? What about our family? There are so many different things you need to mentally prepare for if you are going to be the one to walk away. Um, there is a lot and and just touching on that subject um, in regards to um, some statistics I was reading that there's some stats from the UK Counting Dead Women Project and also the National Domestic Abuse Helpline and also the Men's Advice Line they've reported that since the three weeks of the UK's lockdown since the 23rd of March 16 people were killed in the first three weeks and that's the highest in 11 years 49% um, there has been a rise in calls to abuse helplines compared with the average and also 35% um, there has been a rise in calls to men's advice line in the first week of the lockdown as well. So it just goes to show 
um, how people feel about situations and the current situation that we're in um, has seemed to have heightened in comparison to um, years before. And this is a topical subject regardless of the pandemic that we're experiencing right now. Um, and as, as you do say, there's so many different support networks out there, um, which we'll touch on a little bit later. I can identify with um, many women, mothers, um, those who are in a relationship, those who have left a relationship. And as I touched yeah. on earlier, it can still continue after you have actually broken up from your partner. It doesn't have to be um, in a current relationship. That could even no, be worse. This, this is where it always got worse for me. It was actually when he left. That's when it always got worse because he made the de- he always made the decision to get up and go. And then when he realised he didn't want to be a single guy and wanted his home back and wanted his dinners on the table and his clothes washed, that's when he'd go insane if I would if I would say no or if I'd ignore his calls or and that's where the harassment started. Um, always where the like talk of suicide would come in at, the, at that point. It would never be when we were together. It would always be in the gaps where we weren't together. And that's a bit I always struggle to kind of understand if, whether it's male or female in a relationship, if the person doesn't really love that person, why are they still um, trying to be in the life of the their partner or previous partner? What is it? I feel like it's control. I feel like they get to a point where they, they're out of control. They're, they're free and they're single and there's nothing to control. And, oh, hang on a minute, they're free and single too. So for him, I feel like he would think, I, I can't watch her every move. I can't make sure she's at home with the kids. I can't... Um, call and and make sure she's stopping what she's doing so that she's doing something for me so I do feel like when they feel like they've lost control they want it back and they come to us for that and that's where they get their power because when they're free and single they haven't got that sort of link really with anybody they're not going to be able to control somebody that they've been with for two weeks no they can't control somebody that they've only been with for a few weeks however they can control somebody that they've been with for five six years um so if they're feeling like they've lost everything the only way to gain that control back is to control that person it gives them the power (laughs) yeah so so at that point of being empowered then they as you saying your um, ex-partner disappeared again so in this kind of scenario the individual will be empowered feel powerless out of control wants to control someone needs some kind of normality um, and then they get that normality and then is it boredom or what is it? And then they're out again. I think we spoke about narcissists before. I think lots of perpetrators are narcissists and they get bored very, very 
easily if you're not showing them they need attention I remember we had lots of therapy and I remember um that our therapist saying that he was like a kid in a playground who needed the biggest bag of sweets he needed the all the kids to come to him and he needed to hand out the sweets and be the one to be praised and feel good um and it was the same sort of growing up he needed to be the one with the cars and the bikes and the money and the house and and I think looking back and this is another thing that I've really really noticed is that I used to stereotype a little bit before I knew anything about abuse. Now I know that these sort of characters actually like to go for somebody strong and successful. And I, as a teenager, was confident and I had lots of friends and I already had a business at the age of 19 or 18. And that makes them feel even better if they can then flip that and push you down. And I think going back to your question, once they're back and the novelty's worn off, it's like, who maybe I can prey on somebody else now to get that sort of attention for they just can't their attention span is like zero. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was um reading a quote earlier about narcissists and um it was talking about um them being self-centered. Um, not having mm-hmm. any empathy, anything like that, all about themselves, um, not yeah. very compassionate. So it just kind of falls along the lines of what what you're saying. And, and it, yeah. it is not a, a nice thing to actually think that somebody can be that way. But um, we're obviously going into different ground here. Um, we haven't got a psychologist to kind of verify mm-hmm what we're saying but it's just to find find out is this coming from a place that they've had some experiences as a young person or experiences along the way as something like a time bomb has gone off or something ticked and caused them to react in a particular way yeah I think um narcissists as a child either have too much or not enough so if they are spoiled rotten and they've been given everything and they've never been told no or if they've been neglected and if you know so it it, it, there's no in between so I think that's where a narcissist sort of comes from and I feel like um I used to struggle with is he a perpetrator is he a narcissist is he a psychopath is he depressed what category do I put him in? And I think a lot of them overlap and interlink. So it sort of is relevant because I think a lot of people, and I know this actually from the girls that message me and send in their stories. So on my Instagram page, every Wednesday, I put up another girl's story. They're always anonymous, but so many of these perpetrator characters are narcissists. Um, It's all about them they have absolutely no empathy for how their partner might feel they can't comprehend why we would react in certain ways Um, they don't take into consideration 
what could happen next. They never take responsibility for their actions. Um, so I have really learned this a lot that so many people that abuse have narcissistic traits for sure. Yeah, and so for yourself, um, what did you fear the most about um, the relationship while you were out of the relationship? Because as you mentioned, your partner had left and things had got worse. Um, yeah. Rest, um, phone calls. What type of things would he do? Because at this point, is he still in contact with the children or has that has that kind of stopped that behavior? So what what after I said no you're not coming back what would then happen was we uh owned a house together so legally I wasn't allowed to change the locks he'd come in when we weren't here he'd smash my house to pieces he'd walk up and down the road at night he'd drive round really loudly so that my whole um, like the roads around everyone could hear him he'd call 20 like throughout the night so I couldn't sleep my fear was that he'd kill himself and that my kids would have no dad and that I would have that on my back for the rest of my life and looking back that was that was never going to happen but he made me believe that that definitely could happen in my head I planned his funeral it was that I was so sure that it was going to happen. He was going to do it. Um, You know, he'd go missing to the points where he'd have, we once had like the Met Police out looking for him, you know, and then they'd find him days later and he'd say, oh, I've just been at work. Like, what's all the fuss about? I'd put a message out and then I'd get like a girl that I don't even know say, oh, so-and-so has just told me about this message. He was messaging me last night. Like he seemed really fine. And I'd be like, what? Like I'm up all night and he's telling me that I'm never gonna we're never gonna see him again and that I'm gonna have to pick up all the pieces and he's messaging somebody and he's absolutely fine you know having a little flirt in the middle of the night wow so I can kind of see that kind of um you know where the anxiety from you kicked in so he sees the children and time has gone on how long did it take for him to literally stop these uh, phone calls and kind of I I had to get him arrested for it to stop happening I what I ended up doing was I called the police one of the first times that he went missing and they came and they said we want you to log everything he does from this point and I think I I logged about 12 different incidents so him drive you know waking up everybody in my street um once I went to stay at my dad's who lives like an hour away from me and again he found out where we were and in the middle of the night um woke us all up and all the death threats and the breaking into the house when we're not here and you know I had to take pictures of everything and then it finally got to a point where the police called me in and they gave me this card and they said this is the lady that deals with domestic abuse cases and I was like what are you talking about And they said, we can do something about this, but you have to want to. And at that point, I still didn't want to. I was still like, no, I'm too scared. Like, I, you know, he could get even worse. I don't know what's going to happen. He was trying to take me to court to sell our house at the time as well. Um, It was just too much. But it got to this one instance. This was the time where 
like quite a few police forces were involved um, for, for lots of different areas. And they were like, we are arresting him for harassment and for coercive controlling behaviour. So he got taken in. And from that, I was able to then get a non-molestation order, which meant that he couldn't contact me directly for a year. And I was also able to get an occupation order, which means he wasn't allowed to come to my property, our property. It was ours. But because we were, we owned the the house together, that was so difficult. I couldn't stop him from coming in and out of the house. I couldn't stop him from going through all my things. And this was the only way to do it. It took a really long time. And it was a lot of finding a solicitor that, you know, I was left with no money. He took all our, he would save cash and say it was for our future. And then he took everything. I run a business, but it's always sort of only ever covered a, a small amount. So we eventually found a solicitor and with the help of the domestic abuse, they're, they're part of Safer Places. Um, I've forgotten the name of them now. But with, with their help and some of the agencies, they sort of took me through court and I was able to get the orders for a year. And I knew I had to do it because I just thought, if I don't do this, this is going to go on and on and on. And I seriously believe someone was really going to get hurt. Yeah. And also for the children in this whole process, did they get to see any uh, their father display this, this behaviour in any way? They heard a lot of shouting. I hid as much as I could. I remember we were on holiday once and he texted me to tell me he'd been in the house and he was so sorry, but he was really angry at the thought of us on holiday. So he'd smashed some pictures and he just, he told me, but he hadn't gone and cleared it up. And when I, I had to call a neighbour to go in and clean it all up. So I really tried to shield them from as much as I could um and they didn't see him for court a, a little while and then I made the decision that because he couldn't come to the house that they were going to see him at a contact center so they saw him fortnightly at a contact center but he would cancel so you know loads um so that was for the year that we had the order in place um they'd they'd see him when he didn't cancel basically at the contact center um so I can imagine how they would feel because did you have to all attend and at that point did you get the cancellation then or in advance usually oh my goodness that was a nightmare and again that would that would completely trigger my anxiety because I thought this would be the best and safest way and most I wanted structure for them and stability for them. And I would get a call from somebody at the contact centre the day before to say, oh, I'm really sorry, he's working away. He can't um, He can't make tomorrow. And my anxiety of like, oh, my God, I have to let them down for him again and try and pick up the pieces again. You know, he's already told them three times that he's never going to leave again he's not going anywhere again I think the first time we told him daddy was working away and then the last time he left I just thought no I need to be really honest with my kids and tell them that he's not coming back this time 
Um, Did you get any counselling as well during this process? Because for yourself, it sounds like you were under immense pressure. So at one point, as you were just speaking, I thought I can just imagine you must have been really emotional having to tell the children um, that their father was not going to turn up to the contact centre. And then mm. did you have an outlet, someone that you could speak to about this? Yeah, so when when he went to rehab, he had a counsellor at the rehab. Um, I talk about her in my blog. Her name's, well, we call her Pam. Um, and Pam, once he left the rehab, would still give him therapy and we'd then go for couples counselling together and then he went AWOL on her as well and decided he never wanted to see her again once he'd left but I continued and because she knew our situation so well and she knew of his addictive traits and she knew him very well but also knew me very well separately I continued to have therapy with her and she really helped me in so many ways she helped me word things to my kids put things sort of like in children's language so they understood but I wasn't telling them too much but but I was being honest enough with them so what would you Um, say then for example if he couldn't turn up how, how did you break that down um if he couldn't turn up I mean I pretty much used the daddy's got work for a very long time and then we sort of came up with that we were going to sit, I was going to sit down and tell the kids that daddy's got a poorly mind. And when daddy's mind feels really, really poorly, it tells him to um, stay away from the people that he loves the most. Um, Cause he just can't handle being around anybody at that, those times. And his mind's not always going to be poorly. And sometimes he'll feel great and he'll feel happy and he'll be able to be around people. But sometimes when his mind feels poorly, he just needs to be by himself and he's fine and he can get better if he wants to get better. And there are lots of, I wanted to make it clear to the kids that this wasn't a permanent thing because he's so unpredictable. Yeah. Um, I take it they were under um, 10 as well at that time. They're so young and it was so difficult to try and honestly, literally like the hardest conversations of my life that I've ever had to have with these two little people that they, but they needed, they needed some sort of closure. They've been through it with me for four years. You know, my daughter, basically since she was born having this sort of like very up and down in and out relationship they needed some sort of truth I could feel it from them they just weren't buying it anymore daddy's not at work you say this all the time and you know what he never was (laughs) we always found out somewhere else he was never at work I'd get friends or my sister call me like oh my god you would not believe where he is who he's with and what he's doing and it just showed his lack of care and respect. And again, when if I'd question him about it or if somebody else, because at this this point, while they're at the contact centre, we still had the order in place. Oh, I just can't handle it. I just can't handle it. It was always about him. It was never about the kids. Um, and also for yourself, um, was you in a, a job at the time or were you a full-time mum? Just trying to wonder how you balanced everything at the same time yeah so I've always been self-employed um I 
I sort of work part time and I work around the kids school um, hours. So, yeah, it was really hard. I remember not only in work, sort of when I was out and with friends as well, my mind just wouldn't be there. I'd be, t- I'd be, you know, at work, but my mind would be somewhere completely different. I'd be sitting in front of friends having a conversation, but I couldn't tell you what anyone said. Um, you had so much going on. So, so also I, on another scale, um, in these kind of relationships, once they end, is it true that once someone has become a victim of domestic abuse, that they are prone to fall into a similar relationship following this? I think it's, what's the word I'm looking for it's common because it's a style that you know so you believe this is what love is and that took me a really long time to figure out as well and I think once you acknowledge what you've been through and you educate yourself and you realize what it is then you you see the patterns you see the signs and my uh, domestic abuse, the worker that took me through court, put me on a course. And again, I've mentioned these on on the uh, blog and on my Instagram. I, I sort of give these the links out to some of the girls that message me. Um, there's the Triple R course and the Freedom Program. And they sit with the victims some actually are still in the relationships but they put these courses on so that you can recognize the behavior so that you can sort of understand what happened and then moving forward you can it you can see the red flags and if i wasn't if i'd never been given that card by the police officer and you know, the words uh, coercive control or harassment weren't ever sort of put in front of me. I don't think I'd ever really know. So I'd probably fall back into the same pattern because you pass it off somehow, you pass it off as normal. I don't know how. Um, yeah. And al- and also um, there is like a, a stigma um, regarding women who are in relationships and things have gone horribly wrong. And um, it's like, you know, why you're, you're not a strong person. But as you said, um, some narcissists um, do go for women who are quite high powered. And um, mm-hmm. it's the, the notion that why can't you just leave him? Or why can't you just leave her at the end of the day? It's not as easy as that. No. There's so many factors, as you say, housing, um, you've got work, money. I remember when I was on the Triple R course, the lady um, stood me in the centre and she she took out a, a ball of string and she said, right, hold it. And then all the girls stood around me and she said, I want you to tell me every reason that you didn't leave. And when you say a reason, throw it to another girl and they're going to hold onto the string and then throw it back to you. So I reeled off all my reasons. And eventually there was like a big web of string like all around me and she was like look you're stuck you are stuck in this web and this maze and you can't get out and there are so many factors and how on earth are you going to navigate this and where do you even start and I remember she said she got some scissors and she said right one at a time we will tackle one at a time and I say this to so many girls now so many girls are like oh my god but I'm like right one thing at a time because it's too overwhelming. It, it to, so is. Yeah. I've never, ever heard that on that scale. And 
I can just imagine you seeing the piece of string and you were probably standing outside of yourself, not thinking about you, just thinking, wow, I can't believe these are all my reasons. I, I'm mm-hmm. just listening, just shocked. That's complete. That's like an epiphany to me. Um, Isn't it? That. I can imagine the string and you thinking, what can I do to get out of this? But there's always um, a way out of everything, mm-hmm. every situation. But once you're given that kind of, you're given the card or you're given some insight into that. And we've got like lots of national helplines um, that can tell us about the support networks on we've got gov.uk I was reading that and there's lots of resources there's also an initiative which the Boots organization have so would you like to tell us about that? So Boots have now during uh, lockdown Boots have opened up their I think it's like their um, they have little rooms don't they? Yes consultation rooms. Yes they're consultation rooms that's it um and if you feel you are a victim or if you think you're in trouble, you can walk into Boots and um, go into this consultation room. And they have in there all the um, phone numbers or links to um, organisations. I think Women's Aid are in there. There's refuge, there's safer places, but it's it's a safe place for you to go and be able to access all that information because I, I I mean, I can't even imagine. And when we first went into lockdown, it's all I could think about, actually. I can't imagine if this was three years ago, how different this situation would be for me right now. These women are, are just, it actually makes me feel anxious thinking about what they must be going through. So for Boots, I think I'm not saying they were late, but I heard of lots of other countries doing um, things first. And when I saw what, what, what they were doing at Boots, I thought, yeah, thank God. Thank goodness there's, there's something. And I saw loads of people share it, which is great because the more people that know, the better. And also in a country in the US, I know that there's another kind of helpline where you can get um, some resources. So, for example, if you needed help, you can call Pizza Firm, for example, and then mm-hmm. um, you can say a few words and these code words will then give that person mm-hmm. picking up the call the opportunity yeah. to realise actually something's wrong here. There's one that I do want to point out. Um, I see lots, I've seen lots of this where a woman will say, if you're trapped in, in an abusive relationship, message me um, about makeup and I'll know to call the police for you. And loads of people were doing this and I got sent it quite a few times to like post. And I, I felt really uneasy about it and I couldn't put my finger on why. And then I saw, um, I don't know if you follow uh, La La La, Let Me Explain. It's really big on feminism and domestic abuse. And um, she sort of pointed out, and I completely agreed with her and I put, I put it out there as well that that we can't, as just normal people, people that aren't trained, people that haven't got the um, knowledge, we can't put that pressure on ourselves. And also, that could really, really make a situation so much worse. For so many reasons, if a victim messages you and says, help, you said you were going to help in the middle of the night and you don't pick up that message until nine o'clock in the morning because you were asleep. 
what's going to happen in those hours? They're in lockdown. Their guy or all their girl, if it's the other way around, have a, who are you texting? Who are you texting in the middle of the night? Pick the phone up, see the message, boom, done. Yeah. And, the, and then what? And the other thing is, and knowing this from experience with the police, oh, I just got a message from a girl that I don't know. And she's saying she's she's in an abusive relationship. So I'm just going to call the police and let them know. The police are dealing with too many horrific cases to listen to a third party who who said, "Oh, I put out this message, and and this girl's got back to me and says she, you know, she's she's in an abusive relationship. I don't really know her that well, but I said I'd help." Then. <laughs> No, and, and, and we are all uh, like accountable as well. So, um, for example, working in an organization and, for example, if you have a security door, you wouldn't leave that security door open for anyone to walk in off the street. As mm-hmm. well as if you found somebody's badge who works in the same building as you, you would want to make sure you give that into the security team. So uh-huh. we are all accountable. So I totally get where you're coming from. Like it could be the middle of the night, you could call the police, but you could try your best to try and find out what the issue is and try and help. Sure, it is obviously coming from a, a kind place, but we need to shout about the professionals and we need to keep promoting women's aid and refuge and safer places and you know these people that are trained to help and have the resources to help 24 hours a day because we can't man our phones yeah and that's it and we can signpost them to the you know we're accountable to signpost rather than to the police because There is, we can call the emergency helpline. And then again, I was reading that um, the police will then direct you to a particular call center. And then if there's no answer, then it may be, you know, cancel the call. Um, so my, my last question is, um, what is your advice to anyone following our conversation just now? What's your advice to a mum uh, out there? What's your advice to them? What would you say to them if they feel that they are experiencing any of these kind of signs of domestic or emotional abuse? Um, It's real, it is. What would you tell them to do? Firstly, I'd say journal. Make a diary. Whether this is in your phone, whether you have a diary, have a journal, log things. Because something that you may think is so minor could really make a difference also if you're going to get to the point where you're going to have to call the police if they've only got one you're you're only saying one thing (sighs) unfortunately my experiences and again I know a lot of people with the same experiences with the police you have to sort of build up a bit of a case Um, that's just the way it is at the moment so log everything talk to people and this is why I set up airing her 30 laundry because I never knew anybody in the same position as me I'd never known I'd never even heard of emotional abuse I'd never heard of coercive control and the amount of girls I get messaging me saying oh my god I've just read your blog And my boyfriend or my ex is exactly the same. And I never knew this is what it was. So talk, because the more you talk, the more you educate each other. 
And then finally, once it's over, once it's done and it will be over and it will be done. And thankfully now we have very, very little contact, but I'm in a much better place. Um, Focus on you and getting yourself back because I, I think we all underestimate how much these people take over us um, and take over our lives and consume everything we do. Take time to then really get to know yourself and have therapy and just, yeah, take time to get your life back because that's something that I didn't realise I'd even lost until it was all calm and quiet and there was no more drama. And I was like, who even am I? (laughs) It's it's right. It is about discovering yourself. But thanks so much, Sarah. And to all mums and everyone experiencing domestic abuse, remember your rights and options and that there is support available. Your partner may tell you that nobody will believe you or help you, but that's not the case. You are not alone. There's legal advice, including advice on housing, money, protecting children, government services, as well as domestic abuse services. There's also the National Domestic Abuse Helpline that's free and confidential and available 24 hours a day. So you can check that out online, as well as gov.uk, which has loads of resources and information about domestic abuse as well and emotional abuse. So make sure you check that out as well. And also thank you so much for listening and joining us and um, join me for the next podcast. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Thank you.